Hey, we are honored today, if you're wondering who is standing up here with me, uh, Cameron Doolittle, his daughter, Sindana, and... Um, and um, as you guys know, in our uh, Yet For Us series, we've been going through 1 Corinthians, and Cameron came to me at spring break, and he said, hey, we're about to get to 1 Corinthians 16, what are you going to do with that? And I said, well, what should I do with that? And so he talked me through the first few verses, and I thought, that is so good, you ought to preach. Uh, so uh, he is going to be talking today on the generosity of God, but I want to say uh, he and his wife, Carolyn, and their family, they are pillars in our midst. Carolyn and Rick Buescher lead our listening prayer ministry. And Carolyn, I think she's right there, uh, has literally hundreds, it's probably into the thousands of now, of not only hours, but care for people, helping nurture them and care for them. And I want to honor her. Actually, let's do that. Let's honor her for all that she does for all of us. Yes. Laid her life down, counseling and caring for this body. This message of generosity uh, is so in them that uh, actually this is a part, Cameron will share a little what he does, but he wrote a book called Joy Giving and um, a little promo for it. Uh, Who needs this book today? Who needs joyful giving? Right there in the middle, you ma'am. Carolyn, right behind you. You got it? Uh, Oh, hey, it was a decent throw to Carolyn. It was going to get to you. All right. Come on, bring the word to us, Sindana, you and Sindana. Thank you. You didn't know it was going to be a test of manual dexterity as well. It's good. This is my daughter, Sandana. And she's going to read our, read our passage for us. Yeah. Hold it on up there. Hi, my name is Sandana, and I love Jesus. Stand with yeah. me as we read the Word of God together. For even if there are so-called gods, whether in heaven or on earth, as indeed there are many gods and many lords. Yet for us there is but one God, the Father, from whom are all things, and we exist for him. And one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we exist through him. This is what I believe and what I stand on by the power of the Holy Spirit. You got it. Good job. There you go. Thank you, sweetie. Guys, great to be with you. Good morning, Antioch. My name is Cameron Doolittle, as Jimmy said. Uh, here's my family. If we can put a picture up there. We mentioned Carolyn. I'm the one in the middle, in case you're confused. Uh, Carolyn's there with me. Our oldest daughter, Grace, and then Christiana Houston, our son, and then our little one, Sandana, and they are awesome. I get the chance to open a passage that I love today, 1 Corinthians. We're going to start at 1558 and go through 16.4. It says, Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with your income, saving it up, so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. If it seems advisable for me to go also, they'll accompany me. So think about the role that money plays in your life. You work to earn it. You save some. You give some. Your money might determine where you live, what you drive, how much you work, where you work, maybe who you marry, maybe how many kids you have. 
And so what if Paul, the author of 1 Corinthians, has really good news for us about money and giving? We'd want to have that. So my quick background, I grew up in Oregon. My dad was a pastor and mom stayed home with us. And then when I was little, my dad was in construction and then a recession hit and things got uh, tough. And I realized that we didn't have a lot when people from church brought groceries to us for Thanksgiving. And I just remember as a little guy feeling just like ashamed, like, oh, like we, oh, this means that we're, we're poor. I remember being on free and reduced lunch program and uh, feeling embarrassed about that. So I've been there and I know how that feels. Uh, But God was faithful and my dad got into a good job and I was able to work my way through college and a lot of help from student loans and working jobs. You guys know how that goes. And as my career unfolded, uh, some friends have said that I've had a little bit of vocational ADD, kind of jumping around from thing to thing. God's allowed me to walk with both some of the most powerful and richest people around and also with some of the weakest and poorest people. I've been a speechwriter for senators and congressmen on Capitol Hill and a management consultant to executives at big companies. But I've also uh, gotten to oversee a center for kids with severe intellectual disabilities who can't talk, can't say what they need at all, and certainly can't earn an income. I've gotten to be in the developing world with people who live on less than a dollar a day. And the passage we get to explore today has something to say to everyone From the richest to the poorest, the word of God applies to everybody. So let's take a moment, turn to someone next to you. What was your first job and what did you do with the money? What was your first job and what did you do with the money? For some of you guys, it was a long time ago. Sometimes it was a long time. All right, let's, let's bring it back in. Let's bring it back in. Some people are saying, I don't even remember. That was so long ago. But you remember, you probably got some guidance from a parent, someone in your life. Said, well, here's, here's what you do with it. You should, you should spend it on something you want or save it for college or give. Like there's different advice that we got. So today we get to listen in on Paul giving advice to some of his children in the Lord that he's been mentoring and bringing along, and he's going to tell them their guidance about what to do with money. So a little bit of context. Uh, The church in Jerusalem is poor, and the church in Corinth has more. And so Paul's gathering funds from all his different churches to send it down to the church in Jerusalem. Let's think about this for a second. Let's say that you want to buy a a bike for yourself. You say, yeah, I I can do that. That That sounds good. You say, okay, well, what if it's a bike for your kid? Yeah, sure, I'd totally get a bike for my kid. That's great. Well, what about extended family? You got a niece or a nephew that needs needs something? Okay, all right, maybe so. But what if there's someone else in Waco whose kid needs a bike? And you're like, ah, but but now who are they? And you start to ask more questions about this. What if I say it's someone in San Antonio? You're like, no, no, no. Clearly, there's someone else that can give this person a bike. There's a... And what if I say it's not San Antonio, Texas. It's San Antonio, Spain. You're like, no, this is absolutely not. Right? So we feel the closer people are to us, the easier. This didn't exist when this happened. Foreign people only came to tax you and take your money. No money 
was sent from other people to another tribe somewhere far away. You might trade with people, but you're not just giving money to people far away. So Paul's telling us that he's actually, God's actually created a new family. Right? And in that family, we share. So it makes sense for the first time for people in Corinth to give money to the brothers and sisters in need, even though they're all the way in Jerusalem. So we pulled this up on, on Google Maps, and it would take you 12 days and four hours. If you, and it's even with a little boat involved. This is a long way, a long way. Right, so if you're walking eight hours a day then, that'd be like 30 days. Now we can get to the moon in three days. These guys are like 10 times farther away than the moon. They speak a different language. They're from a different culture. But Paul's saying, no, no, we're going to help out each other out because there's a need in our family. This is revolutionary stuff. This is the legacy that you're part of as a Christian. We invented this. We invented giving to people that are far away. That is part of your legacy. Let's take our hands, hold two hands in front of you. you can hold them closed like this. And let's say one hand is giving our time and our skills, and the other hand is giving stuff and money. And in this passage, Paul's asking us to give both. Some of us, we're really open-handed when it comes to our time and our skills. We're volunteering. We're helping people out. But we might have a closed hand on money. Others of us are like, oh, no, no, I'm really busy. I just, I'll, I'll write the check. I'll send the money. Just don't make me go volunteer in kids' ministry. Doesn't need your money. Jimmy doesn't need your money. I don't even work here. <laughs> so, so we're not talking about money because uh, we need it or because there's anything in it for us. We're talking about money because it's one of the fundamental ways that we express our gratitude to God and that we slay the dragon of greed that is so pervasive in our culture. Jesus says in Matthew 6, 24, that you can't serve God and money. And what he actually said there, he said, you can't serve God and mammon. And the more that people look at that passage, they say, it looks like he's talking about a spirit, like, a, like, a, like this spirit that's sliding around, the spirit of the world that wants this God of mammon, like a demonic force of mammon that's sliding around, getting us to think, oh, you probably don't have enough. You probably need more than you have. Just whispering little lies to you. You can't serve God and money. You can't serve God and mammon. And we can feel this sliding around. We live in the richest country in the history of the world, and we've been tricked into thinking we don't have enough. And things that were luxuries 10 years ago now feel like necessities. That's the spirit of mammon it's sliding around. And Jesus is saying that there's a way that's much more free, and it's found in laying down our lives. Jesus provides a way out of the trap. So in Scripture, we see Paul talks about money, Jesus talks about money, and John the Baptist talks about it first. We're going to look at a passage from Luke 3, where John the Baptist, he's baptizing people, they're coming to faith, and they're going to start discipleship. They're going to start, okay, where do I start with my faith? And so one group comes, the crowd comes, and he says, hey, you guys, uh, they say, what should we do? I know where you start when you're teaching people about Jesus and how to follow him, but he says, well, hey, if you have two shirts, give to someone that doesn't have a shirt. And if you have food, do the same thing. Like, huh, he wants you to be generous. It's the first thing he says. And then another group comes to him. The tax collectors come and they say, well, what should we do? How do we start with Jesus? He says, well, okay, you guys don't collect any more than you're supposed to. Like, Ooh, you're supposed to be honest with money. There might be some of us there that are cutting corners in little places, taking a little bit from the company that, eh, it's a little shady. 
Let's get that right. And then some soldiers asked him, well, what should we do? And he said, hey, don't extort people for money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. So here's John the Baptist. Be generous. Be honest. Be content. That's where he's starting. It's amazing. So when Jesus has your heart, then your relationship with money is going to change. Where your treasure is, your heart is. Your budget won't look like other people's budgets. Your life won't look like someone else's life. So if you go to a church that doesn't talk about money sometimes, you should be concerned. You're like, what else are they, what else are they leaving out? Because Jesus seemed to think it was pretty important. So one fun thing that I get to do uh, in my uh, ADD kind of uh, career is uh, I, get, I get to go to places where the gospel is just spreading, just going out. People are getting baptized, coming out of other religions and backgrounds, getting baptized into the way of Jesus. And we've realized that there wasn't biblical teaching on generosity that was happening. These are in languages and in places where people, uh, uh, they're oral preference learners. So they might be able to read, but their heart language is through story and motions and things like that. And so we created this training that we go in and do different hand motions with them. And we're teaching the message of generosity because otherwise the prosperity gospel comes in. And you guys know this, kind of this, this lie that, oh, if you, if you give to God, then he'll give you money here. Right? And some of us have been burned by this, and that's not the real gospel, that somehow my giving forces God to give me money here. He gives you something better than money, right? He gives you joy here. He gives you treasure in heaven. But if we don't come in and explain to folks what's biblical, then these lies can come in. So we get to teach this. And so I'm going to put this up on the screen. We can stand up and do these, these motions together. So this is what I've gotten to teach in uh, Indonesia and Kenya and all these different places around the world. So first we say, God owns everything. Put hands up. God owns everything. And then we do like our hands, like receiving a gift. God provides enough. And then out like the cross, God gave first. Right? He gave you Jesus. We respond lovingly. We make a little heart. We respond lovingly. We hear God is the next one. Like we listen to what he wants us to do. We find joy. And uh, we store treasure, like, like treasure in heaven. Like this is our home in heaven. And so we do this all, you know, God owns everything. God provides enough. Good job. You guys can sit down now. <laughs> and as we share that message, this passage, 1 Corinthians 16, is one that catches the attention of every group that I get to speak with around the world. Actually, Jessica Ulrich, who's part of our community here, uh, is administering this program for us. Yeah, she has some fans. I'm one of them. Uh, so in this passage, Paul tells us who, what, when and how to give. And he's giving advice, financial advice to a young church. So first, who gets to give? Who gets to give? Yeah, everybody. So he says, now about the collection for the Lord's people, do what I told the Galatian churches to do on the first day of every week, each one of you. So who's included in that? Everybody, me, that's right. <laughs> He says, hey, I told the Galatian churches this. I'm telling you guys this. Everybody gets to give. Everyone's included. The amounts vary, but everyone gets to give. So if you're a kid and you get an allowance and you earn some money, God cares about that. You get to give too. 
When our kids get money, we help them set aside 10%, and some they give here at Antioch, and then others on Christmas Eve, they'll announce what's the cause that God's put on their heart that they want to give some of their money to, and that way it keeps the focus off of what they're going to get for Christmas and more on, I'm going to announce on Christmas Eve what I get to give to. And so it's been like CareNet, working with pregnant moms here in Waco for one of them, or another one had Brazil on their heart, and someone else said Yemen. So we had to figure out how do we get money to Yemen, but we did it. (laughs) So even our kids get to give. I was in uh, Bangladesh speaking to a group, and these are pastors from all across the country, and it was a two-day training. And I had finished the first day, and the beginning of the second day, this guy stands up. He says, I'm not sure if this training is true. Oh, no. Oh, no. It's through a translator, so I'm not quite understanding what's going on, and everyone's hearing it before. I'm not sure if this training is true. But last night, I went out, I was walking around, and I found a widow, and God told me to give her all the money in my wallet. And I did. And 30 minutes later, I realized that was my money to get back to my village. <laughs> now we will see if this training is true. And I'm going, oh, no, I hope this training is true. <laughs> Lord, please, i got a whole day to go. And, uh, you know. and he says, and then 30 minutes later, I saw someone from my village, which is very unusual. And he said, hey, it's you. I've been meaning to give you money for your ministry. And he gave me six times what I had just given the widow. So this training is true. And sits down. <laughs> okay. Individual results may vary. <laughs> but he got to experience the joy of giving. Even he, as a poor pastor in Bangladesh, got to see God come through and step in. So who gets to give? Everyone gets to give. When do we give? The next part of it says, on the first day, on the first day of the week, each one of you. So why the first day of the week? First, that's when we get together. So Sunday is the first day of the week. When do you think they got paid? Last day of the week. Yeah. You guys know this. Sometimes some of us get paid on Friday. So what happens if we wait well past the first day of the week? Turns out, oh, there's not, somehow magically, there's just not anything left. It's, we want to give the first, the first parts. We don't want to give them what's left. We want to give them the first, what's best. And we miss the chance to give if we don't do it early. And so whenever you get paid, so for you it might be, oh, I'm paid bi-monthly, I'm paid monthly or whatever. Some of us, hey, I'm, I'm a waitress, I bring home some tips. Great, like that's the moment. Set aside the, the portion that you're giving to the Lord. Set it aside right there. If you're in real estate, you have a big deal that closes, that's the moment. You have clients, you know, whenever the money drops into your account, that's the moment. Set it aside first. So we give frequently. In India, the Mizoram people, every time they cook a meal, they don't deal in cash very much, but they deal in rice. And so on the first day, or every time they cook a meal, they set aside a handful of rice. And they store it up in a jar, and they take it to the church, and they give it that way. I have a friend who puts five $20 bills in his wallet every week. And he's looking, okay, God, who are these for? He's looking for a chance to give. And he has the best conversations. So we're going to give frequently. We're going to make generosity just a normal part of our lives. So that's, yeah. Each of us can make this a regular habit. And as we do that, God's going to prompt us at certain times to do things that are unusual. But mostly, we're going to give in a planned, organized way. Sometimes you might see someone. 1 John 3.17 says if you see, if you have your possessions and you see a brother or sister in need, then give. There's a chance to give in the moment like that. But most of our giving is going to be regular and strategic. Both are spiritual. Both giving 
prompted by the Spirit and planned out by the Spirit. Both are spiritual. Amen? He's not mostly chaotic. All right. You might be chaotic. He's, he's organized. <laughs> so everyone gets to give. We get to do it frequently. And now the big question is, all right, all right so I understand I'm supposed to give. I'm supposed to do it regularly. Paul wants me to do that. Now what am I supposed to give? This is really good news. What's he say? He says, a sum of money in keeping with your income. He is such a pastor. You're like, okay, this is the moment he's going like, to have the big thermometer on the stage and like, look, here's how you guys are doing or a fundraising target. And if you call in now, no, he's like, hey, 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 we're all going to do it. We're going to do it regularly. Give something. Oh, I thought, I thought you were trying to raise money for something. I thought, he's, this is not going to work. I was expecting a table of, all right, if you make this much, then here's what you do. No, a sum of money in keeping with your income. Let's be clear. God's not going to love you more or less. He already killed his son for you. Right? It's not like, oh, 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 they gave 11%? Oh, I I really like that one. No. It's about our response. It's our response to him. Uh, Carolyn and I were visiting another church one time. So we want to be clear that, that it is about giving money. It is about a sum of income is what Paul says. We're visiting another church, not this church. This would never happen here. But the plate's being passed behind us, and we hear a fight break out. Like, oh, wow. And the, the lady is trying to give money in the offering, and the guys whisper shouting, we tithe our time. We tithe our time. That's great. And if God doesn't have this other hand open, then we're missing the chance to participate. We don't just tithe our time. We get to give something financial to God as well. So if you have more, you can give more. Now, someone in a church like this, some of us are really struggling. And God sees that, and we want to pray with you. And there are ways that we as a church help out. If you have needs, make those known. Because as a community, we like to care for each other. Start with tithing on your income, maybe. In one session I led, there was a guy that said, uh, I was in Africa, and he's like, well, you know, I'm, I'm realizing God's convicting me. I have three cups of coffee a day. I should have two. You go, oh, what a precious guy. He's going to give the rest, the rest to God. Some of us are stable. We get to give a little bit more, so we can tithe a little bit more. And then some of us are in surplus. You might be giving God half of what comes in. You might join the 50-50 club. Or there are people called reverse tithers that keep 10% and give 90%. So wherever you are, God's not interested in what the amount is. He's interested in the heart that's behind it. So most Christians have looked at and treat a tithe or 10% of income as a baseline. The Randy, Randy Alcorn is an author, and he talks about that being training wheels for giving. I had my first job. I was on Capitol Hill. I was earning $19,000 a year in a very expensive city. And so I, I got my first check. I saw all these taxes taken out. I was like, oh, man, what? And so I went to my chief of staff, and I was like, hey, hey. He's a Christian guy. I was like, hey, do, am I supposed to tithe on the big number that I was supposed to get or on the little number? Is the gross or the net? And he's like, well, it depends. Do you want to be blessed on the gross or the net? I was like, oh. So... Yeah. <laughs> So I decided I wanted to be blessed on the gross. I moved into a house with some guys, and I went down to Ikea to buy my bed. Now, every bed I've seen in the history of my life, there's a bed, and it has a mattress on it, right? I've never seen a bed without a mattress. So I buy a bed, get it home, get it all set up. There's no mattress. 
And that was all the money I had. Like that, I was like, Lord, I, I don't want to go into debt for a mattress. So, God, you got to provide a mattress. And so I slept on the floor next to my empty Ikea bed <laughs> waiting for God to provide. And I went to a party the next week, and I'm at this house, and I see behind the person I'm talking to, there's a, a mattress, the right size, leaning against the wall. And so I'm trying to be cool and act like I'm interested in the conversation. Like, oh, yeah, totally. Oh, yeah, that's crazy. But I'm just thinking, like, like, how, like and so finally, I try to be cool. I'm like, hey, so that mattress over there, what's, what's up with that? Like, oh, we're going to get rid of that. You know, it's like, would it be, you know, I could, I could take that off your hands if you want. You know, so I'm shoving it in my, my trunk of my, my Dodge Neon. We're going to get it home. And the Lord provides. The Lord provides. Right around the same time, I needed a suit. You know, I had, like, the one suit I was wearing at work every day. And you just don't look that professional. Because they pay you, like, nothing. But then you're supposed to look like you are professional. And it's like, how's that supposed to work? So... The guy came to stay with us, and he just left a suit in the closet. We called, like, hey, want your suit back? He said, no, 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 I grew it. See if it fits. And it did. So God just miraculously provides this suit. And it's like, you know, I could have kept the 10% that I was trying to give, but it's so much more fun to have God come through and show himself, right? So he doesn't need our money. He doesn't need our money. But we need to have our faith built. Uh, being a, a former management consultant, I always have uh, alliterative frameworks that all start with the same letter. And so here, here's one. So some people think of giving as a legalism. Like, here, like what's the percentage? Like, here's the amount that, I'm, that I have to give. There's legalism on the one side. On the other side, the culture would tell us, oh, license. Do whatever you want. It's your money. You may just do whatever you want. And neither of those is right. But in the middle, we have listening. Well, you just ask God, God, what's for me? What's for me to share? He is a generous father. He's not mad when you have something nice. If I give a bike to my son, my expectation is not that the kid down the street gets the bike immediately. I wanted my son to delight in that. He wants to give you good gifts, but we just need to check and ask him, what's for me and what's for me to share? All right. Some of my friends in Africa, uh, they walk through their coffee field and they put a ribbon on the ones where they feel like God wants the the beans from that to go to the Lord, right? Just ask him, what's for you? What's for you to share? So now we have the who, we have the when, and we have the what are we giving. But now how are we going to give? We're going to give through trustworthy friends. Then when I arrive, I'll give letters of introduction to the men you approve. So they've done this collection now. They've saved it up to the men you approve and send them with your gift to Jerusalem. And if it seems advisable for me to go also, they'll accompany me boring. We always skip this part. I've had people all over the world say, I, I, didn't, I didn't think this was in here before. Like, what, what is this part? All right, so they've collected the money. The church in Corinth is going to write letters and pick a couple people to carry the money to Jerusalem, to go on that 30-day journey to Jerusalem. And so if you're going to pick someone to carry money, what kind of a person do you pick? Yeah, someone trustworthy. And do you send one? Even if they're trustworthy. We're going to send a couple, right? And then he said, hey, we're going to write a letter. And probably one of the things we're going to write in the letter is how much money we gave these two <laughs> trustworthy people, right? You write down how much money you're sending. Paul is way ahead of his time. These are accounting principles. For those of you that are accountants in the room, right? Establish responsibilities, maintain records. We're going to write it down. Segregate duties. We have different people involved. Maybe have an auditor come. We still do this stuff, right? 
So all of a sudden, Paul goes from being this pastor, like, hey, guys, be generous, to, all right, now here's the accounting rules, and here's how we're going to break it all down. So why does all this matter? Why does he switch from being a pastor to being an accountant all of a sudden? Because nothing quenches generosity like ministries that handle money dishonestly. Right? I've met with many, many people around the world and talked about generosity with them. And there have been three people who have said, yeah, I used to be generous and now I'm not. He said, oh, it's an amazing confession. And in each time they would say, because someone stole the money, someone was dishonest with the money, that kind of thing. Paul knows that, so we're going to do this very honestly. In fact, it's so important to him that he's even willing to stop his other missionary work to accompany them to Jerusalem. That's crazy. You think about the most important work that's been done? Paul's missionary work has got to be right, right up high on that list. But he's willing to stop so that everyone will know that this is trustworthy. I was in India, and the Spirit used this passage to really challenge some of the pastors there. They said, oh yeah, this is why when people give one week and they see my child wearing a new shirt the next, they think, wait a second, was my gift for the pastor's kid to get it? They said, because no one else knows how much I'm paid or how much money came in. We should have like a group of people look at how much money came in and they start to get this revelation through this passage and they all got very excited about it and it added to the trustworthiness and credibility of their churches. Here at Antioch, you can write into the office and say, hey, what's the budget? And they'll send you the budget. I did this. I didn't tell them I was going to be preaching. I was like, hey, I just wanted to test and see if this is true. So, <laughs> so I did it. They sent. I said, okay, well, I see some big buckets here for salaries. Like how many people is that, is that for? We don't want to know the individual amounts of people. But they said, oh, well, this is for this many people and this is for this many people. So Antioch's being trustworthy and transparent with the money. Our leaders here at Antioch are uh, paid enough to live normal lives here in Waco. But no one's getting rich. And that's as it should be. We want those who serve us not to be either rich or poor. Obviously, it's not cool if they're getting rich off people. But why is it good if they're, if they're not poor? You can imagine if you're in the hospital and they come to visit you, they're like, ooh, this is kind of rough. I, I could sell you some life insurance. No, no, I want you to pray for my healing, right? I want, right? We want people to be able to live comfortably. We want our leaders to be able to live comfortably here. And so let's get real real for a second. The normal income in Waco, median income, is $59,000. And our folks here at Antioch are paid a range, if they're full-time, between 40 and 76. To some of us, that sounds like a lot, but it sounds like not very much. But that's the range of what happens here. And this is a trustworthy work. So no one's getting rich off of us, but people can live normal lives in Waco. So again, I'm not on staff here. I'm just talking to you as another, one of, another member of the congregation. Our leaders are not trying to fleece anyone. They live on less so that you can be blessed. These are people that could be a lot of other places, doing a lot of other things. God's given them great education, a lot of gifting. Antioch is transparent and trustworthy. So Paul is excited that he's going to make this a really trustworthy uh, uh, offering that gets sent. Now, you can give to Antioch. When you give outside of Antioch, and that's fine to do as well, uh, you don't have to give everything to the church, find things that are trustworthy. If they're not willing to answer your questions about their transparency, then they probably don't need your, need your resources. You can find other places to give that are, that are trustworthy. Our local church should totally be a major part of our giving. This is your local family, and we're fed here, so we want to give here. Well, but there's no verse that says that all your giving needs to be here to the local church. There's all kinds of great things that God might put on your heart, and you can participate in those.
then Paul goes on in this passage to say, hey, I'm going to come visit you guys, and then you can send me on my way and take up, you know, I want to hang out. Hopefully I'll come through Macedonia. He's friends with these people. So when we give through friends, we give through trusted relationships, it can be a beautiful and good thing. It's awesome to give through friends. Awesome to give to and through friends. So who gets to give? Everyone gets to give. What do we give, get to give? We do it proportionally. When do we do it? We do it frequently. And then how do we do it? Through trustworthy friends. I was in Ethiopia, and uh, I had been there a few months before and done a training. And so during a break, in, when I came back about uh, seven months later, this guy said, oh, I should tell you what happened since the last training. I said, yeah, I'd love, love to hear. He said, I am a refugee from Somalia. I was a refugee from Somalia into Ethiopia. I'm a pastor in a refugee camp. And so I heard about the generosity training, and I thought, who needs more generosity than me? I'm going to go to the generosity training so that I can receive a gift. And so he came, and he realized, oh, this is about me and my heart. And so he said, I went home, and I told the hand motions to my family. God owns everything. God provides enough. God gave generously. We respond lovingly. We hear God. We find joy. He's teaching his family. You know, we, we store treasure. And his kids get this message, and they say, Dad, we have some stuff that we could give. So they go and get extra clothes that they have, just like John the Baptist is talking about. If you have two shirts, give to the one that doesn't have. And so they get a little pile of clothes together. The kids went and gathered. And he was encouraged by that. And then Sunday's coming, and so he, he had been at this training. So he thought, well, I'll just teach on generosity. So he goes to his church and explains, God owns everything. God provides enough. He tells the church what his kids had done with this little pile of clothes. And the church said, wow, well, we have some things that we could give. And so they go gather their extra clothes, and now they've got a bigger pile of stuff. And so they're standing there looking at it, and they say, well, but who are we going to give this to? And someone said, well, we should give it to the other refugees. And someone else says, no, 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 they should get to give too. We should give it to someone that has even less. And they're going, who has even less? We are refugees in Ethiopia, like, right? That, this is as poor as it gets. And someone said, oh, prisoners. Because they're prisoners, uh, work, and it's not like here where you get a jumpsuit from the, from the prison. You just have your own clothes. And if, no one, if your family doesn't bring you more clothes, then you're just working out uh, in the fields uh, on, the, on the chain gang uh, with whatever rags you have. And so they take it down to the prison, and the prisoners are just overjoyed that these refugees have brought these gifts, and they get new, n- new clothes. I mean, not, no one's going to win a fashion show, right? But, but new clothes. They're just overjoyed. And they say, okay, this is so great, but do you guys have any shoes? And they're like, no, we're refugee. Like, did we, did we mention the refugee part? Say, okay, but we can pray. We'll ask God, see if we can get, some, get some, um, some shoes. So they go back to the refugee camp. They talk about this need. And the other refugees are just like, wow, like, huh, you guys got... And they felt the dignity of getting to give, getting to participate. And so they start rounding up whatever other shoes they have. And they get a big pile together. And they count it up. And the guys had asked for 117 pairs of shoes. And it turns out it's 117 pairs of shoes. And so they take it on down. And the, ref- the prisoners just can't believe this. It's just amazing. And the church is excited that God would use their sacrifice to do this. And so then someone in their congregation was taken captive by bandits. That can sometimes happen in that part of the world. And held for ransom. And they said, okay, you get one call. You need to call someone that has $2,000 U.S. And she goes, I don't know anyone that has $2,000 U.S. 
She said, I'll, well, at least I'll just call my pastor so that at least he can pray for me. So she calls her pastor. He said, yeah, we'll get people praying for sure. So they start praying for this woman, and they start to gather the resources that they have, and they get up to $700, which is just so sacrificial for this community of refugees to have gathered $700 U.S., and then miraculously, she shows up back in the camp. She's been released in answer to their prayers. And everyone's like, yay. And the pastor's going, uh, what am I going to do with the $700 that I had? And so he tries to go back to the people that gave. And to a family, they say, no, no, no. We gave that to God. Pastor, it's up to you what you do with that. And he looked at me. He said, what do you do with such a precious gift? Well, there were some people in his congregation who had been malnourished and not had medicine. And so he said, well, it, if we can get them nourishment and medicine, then they can get back to work and they can start to earn income for themselves. And so he goes around and gives medicine to the right people and some nutrition to the right people. They get healthier. They get back to work. They're able to earn income. They're so grateful to the church for this gift that they start giving to the church. So now you've got this cycle of sustainability that's all happening among refugees in Ethiopia. Right? Everybody gets to give. And it started with who? His kids. He, he looks at me, he's like, so that's what happened since you were here seven months ago. Like, Whoa, <laughs> it works. It's amazing. <laughs> so you might not feel that the thing that you have to give is very much, but if God can take a little pile of clothes in Ethiopia from kids and multiply it to reach people for his kingdom, then he can certainly use the things that, that you give to him as well. He loves your heart. He's already given you his son and we get to respond generously to him.